Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer UK podcast. My name is Samuel Roberts and I'm the editor of PC Gamer and I'm joined today by... Phil Savage, deputy editor. Tom Senior, web editor. We actually have no new games to talk about today because we've been uh, on deadline sending the magazine and doing lots of other things. Is that um, our excuse? <laughs> that is our excuse. And also it's actually a little bit quieter now before the mad May rush begins where... Overwatch, Battleborn, Stellaris, Mirror's Edge, Catalyst, Homefront, The Revolution, all, <laughs> all come out. Uh, all those definitely quality games. <laughs> all come out like almost back to back. And and Doom as well, actually, which I missed out there. Yeah. So it's going to get uh, insane. So uh, for now, uh, with Andy Kelly away at FanFest, we're going to have a week to talk about some slightly other uh, well, slightly other, some, some slightly other, <laughs> some other PC gaming related matters that are a little bit closer to our hearts and hopefully uh, mean something to you too. Um, I will explain what that means in about I don't know two minutes or something. Is this uh, like this is your life? <laughs> so I'm just going to pull out a big red book and start going into our pasts. I, I basically wrote down a load of questions to try and uh, just uh, I guess let the listeners know a little bit more about our background in PC gaming and thought that. Uh, there's bound to be some commonality there and uh, and that they might find that interesting on some level as mm. a kind of like uh, experimental in-between episode from our usual format where we just talk about new games. That or they'll uncover us as shams. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll be chased out of the building. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll be shamed out of the industry, <laughs> which has been on the cards for a while anyway. So, <laughs> Long time coming. Indeed, indeed. Um, so I've written down all these questions to, um, to baffle my colleagues and they're already reticent about how far back in time they have to go to, in order to answer them. Um, so I'm going to ask you guys the question, and then I'll answer it myself uh, too. But um, mm. I guess starting with you, Phil, what was the first PC game you played, and what do you remember about it? Uh, so I guess the first PC game I played was Little Big Adventure 2, which I picked up after playing Little Big Adventure 1 on the PlayStation 1. Uh, I thought, ah, oh, sequel, that's out, I'll get that. Uh, it was Actually, I remember quite a lot about it, because I recently did a reinstall in the other mag, in a recent edition of the magazine. It's a very French adventure game, mm. um, by which I mean the tone of it is weirdly charming, um, a little bit strange, and it's also full of talking animals, which is a very seems a very French game's trait. If you look at things like Rayman and Beyond Good and Evil, and yeah, you can instantly identify it as a French game just looking at mm. the kind of character designs and the color mm. scheme and things like that. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the various the various races of the world that. Um, you're exploring are human kind of, rabbit kind of, elephant people, and <laughs> just a circle. Right. One's just like a circle dude who's got arms. Ah, yes, the well-known circle mm. species, yes. Uh, so, yeah, that was... It, it's, I mean, it's not necessarily a great game. It's not a classic, but I think it does have this core of people who really enjoyed that level of... that level of uncynical charm to it, of... Um, it's quite sweet at moments. Like one of the things I, that stood out as I was doing, as I was replaying it recently, was this scene sort of towards the end of the first act, where you just walk home arm in arm with your pregnant girlfriend back to your house, and it's just like, okay, that's that's an amount of uh, detail and kind of personal storytelling that a lot of games wouldn't bother with. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what was interesting in your reinstall was that you said it was created before the rules had been made especially because to control schemes and things so mm. isn't it that if you want to talk to someone you have to go to like a different stance yeah uh, there, <laughs> there are different modes for each action um, it's got a lot of problems in control wise because yeah it's, it's that era of 3D where nobody really understood how to make good properly controlled 3D games so Twinson who's the main character has, you've got tank controls 
to controlling, which is always bad anyway. Mm. Um, but also to do anything, you've got to switch between these four modes. Uh, so normal is just use items and talk to people. But if you want to run, you've got to go into athletics mode. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I run. I always go into athletics mode, you know, consciously. Does his stance change? Does his appearance change? Yeah, completely. And that's, that's a really good thing about it. Uh, so in athletics mode, he sort of gets this... Kind of, he just jogs on the spot to let you know that he, he's, he's, he's raring to go. <laughs> nice. The best is aggressive mode hmm. uh, if you want to fight somebody because his sort of idle animation there and his walking animation, he just kind of staggers like a drunk. And... Uh, there's even audio cues and stuff, so we'll just start grunting. Or... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's that's like you that's see aggression. You see if you go a few of those guys on a, out in Bath on a Friday night, and it's like, <laughs> not too not too many though. No, not, not, not too not, many. Not, <laughs> not, not no. in some cities, but yeah, you know, sometimes you walk down a street and you'll see someone swaggering about, and you think aggressive mode I'm gonna have to <laughs> to avoid them I did say a guy actually strutting yesterday but like a kind of cartoon <laughs> strut and I was furious like oh, I no. just I was mm. like oh I wish I could do something about it I wasn't the right stance though you know there's yeah. nothing I could do um, there's also a stealth mode which is kind of amazing because it really exaggerated creeping along each step is accompanied by like this bassoon note that creates a little tune as he walks oh. it's the least stealthy thing bassoon is not a stealthy instrument that's quite a nice touch though but yeah, it, like it's it's got that sort of cartoon flavour to it, which is, like yeah, it. is is quite silly in places. But yeah, yeah. it feels like the sort of a game that only the '90s could have produced as well. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Just sort of like, yeah, it definitely has that sort of like birth of 3D games, matched with an unusual tone, and it's very European in a way you may not see as much these days. Yeah, in games. I think it does seem like the rules are so codified now, and developers are so competent to an extent. Yeah, like the, there's none of that. Wild West, oh, we need to do this, how do we do it, let's invent some systems mm. kind of thing. that You just wouldn't get the same, that same thing anymore. Oh. And partially that's good because it's not ridiculous anymore. <laughs> like it's not, it's, there's no athletics mode. Or, <laughs> um, you, your main attack is a ball that you throw, but actually aiming uh, in an isometric environment is oh, impossible. <laughs> I've got I've got this very geometric weapon, and I've got to judge angles based on a sort of top-down view. And it's like, oh yeah, ah, interesting. Well, I, I well, it's well worth reading Phil's reinstall, which is on the website. It's on the website now, yeah, yeah. So if you it look is. for Little Big Adventure too, there can't be many other articles that have that yeah, name mm. in them. So that's well worth reading for sure. Mm. Um, Tom, how about you? What was the first, first PC game you played, and what do you remember about it? I d- uh, I don't know the name of the first piece of game I ever played mm. but it was a flight simulator and I think it was a combat flight simulator uh. Jets and uh, it was at my uh, like a friend's house it was like a parent's friend's son who mm. I was kind of there with there with for the weekend and he, uh, he just put on his PC and says you've got to see this and uh, <laughs> he showed me this, uh, this this game about flying around, and I was, I was amazed already. I thought this is this is fucking extraordinary. <laughs> there's, there's a man; he's controlling it, and he's flying around. And I, I, I must have been like eight or nine or something. I, I was just like, this is this is it. This is it. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> uh, and then uh, it only got better when he said, "Watch this." And then he flew really close to the ground with his plane, and then he he flipped it upside down, and then hit the ejector seat. So the pilot. <laughs> Slammed directly into the ground, leaving a kind of a little like grey stain in the floor. 
uh, at, at that point, That's I was like, impressive detail. This is this is the uh, this is the gaming platform for me. Uh, yeah, said yeah. said eight year old Tom. <laughs> <laughs> in, well, in uh, what I like about that is that that one moment is more interesting than anything that's ever happened to me in a flight sim game before. <laughs> <laughs> that's no offense to that entire genre, but um, I just I never really got those games. But I love the idea that that was what your your mate thought. This is the best bit of the game. Yeah, and I, I completely agreed with him as well. It's like oh, that's way better than actually shooting missiles at tiny pixels. Uh, <laughs> many kilometers away i think it's also as instilled in me since uh, a kind of urge to not break games but find unusual experiences within games that the designers didn't necessarily intend for Hmm. Um, so it's quite formative really and and surprisingly violent for what (laughs) i maybe should have been looking at at that age (laughs) it's good though you don't know which you don't know what the name of it was no no it wasn't 1942 was it because that was i remember that being a fairly ubiquitous flight combat game and about the early 90s was it then i guess it must have been and all, all i can remember of just kind of vague jet shapes and that moment and the general feeling of amusement it was, was an era with a lot of flight sims yeah there so. were a lot around mm. it's true mm. Mm, interesting um I've, that's actually triggered a, a memory that okay little big adventure wasn't even my first pc game really well. lied completely there that's all right it's not you know like i say that there's no there's no legal <laughs> obligation for you to tell there, the there's truth there's not gonna be any trials at the end of this no it's true cool no um i, I have the opposite thing in which I remember the name of the game, but not what it was really. Um, on my granddad's like word processor, which had like was a, some DOS thing, he had a copy of Murder Death Kill for some reason, MDK. Oh yeah, uh, and I don't remember anything about it. I think it was like a th- 3D action thing. Was this the one that Bioware made the sequel to? Yes. They, yeah, yeah they, yeah, they made MDK too. Mm. Yeah, um, but I have no no really memory of it other than finding out that MDK stood for murder, death, kill, and thinking that was a weird thing for my granddad to own. Yeah, because <laughs> he was a church man. He was <laughs> he was involved in the parish council. It's not. <laughs> you're, you're, he, the, the idea of this parish council going home and playing MDK is absolutely amazing. Like MDK is, uh, I've, I've, I have played it. It is a deeply strange kind of third person action game in which you play. Basically, a man in a gimp suit with a gun for a head. Don't you have wow. these wings that come out of you, these sort of circular rings you that do, act yeah. as wings or something? You can kind of float down, uh, mm. and it's got very, very trippy kind of levels with just bizarre texturing and, and enemies that make no sense. Mm. And uh, it's, the controls are basically impossible. I don't, uh, it's strange. I don't think I ever knew that it stood for Murder, Death, Kill. I think that's the first time I've learned that. I guess I never even questioned what MDK stood for. Mm. You know, I just assumed it was, uh, I don't know. <laughs> some, some kind of misspelling of more combat or Se- trying to evoke 75% that. Seventy-five percent sure that's correct. It might be apocryphal or something, but I'm pretty sure that's. So have you have you investigated the game more, Phil, to see if it was? Uh, I ever? I've got as far as repurchasing it on GOG, but I haven't taken the extra step yet. Yeah. Okay. I I, I will tell you right now. I know that's never going to get played. <laughs> <laughs> it will never be the number one game you want to play. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I want Phil to do a reinstall. On yeah, right there could be a reinstall in it though. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well. Yeah. I, I think like half the content you need for that piece has been uh, generated <laughs> on this podcast which is good uh, yeah. um, more biographical bounce no it's good Tom were you truthful about yours or did, mm. did it turn <laughs> out that you uh, played Minesweeper once <laughs> <laughs> no um, the, the games I can remember before that were like Golden Axe on the Amiga yeah. and a Spectrum game where you actually put, had to put cassette tape in and it was it took 10 minutes and then you played a really shit sized scrolling shooter where you had to avoid bubbles <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. kind of thing like the really really kind of primal stuff that came before um, PCs got better. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, my my, my first uh, game on PC was a Mario game, mm. um, which was right. uh, I, I bet people don't really even aren't even aware of this, but there was a game called Mario is Missing that came out on the SNES, but also came out on PC and in a completely different version. And the idea is is an educational game 
where at the start, um, you, Mario and Luigi politely walk up to Bowser's castle. Mario gets like captured and stored on like the first on the top floor, and w- Luigi has to um, travel through a series of doors that are portals to cities around the world, um, and like uh, kind of solving, uh, answering kind of riddles about the city based on information you learn from. Uh, walking around the city, it's kind of like a it was like a side-scrolling adventure, um, and then you like click on information boards, learn about Marrakesh, then someone would call you and, and ask about Marrakesh, and if you have the right answer, then like a Cooper would appear on like a skateboard, and you could, had to click on him and he'd fall over, and then <laughs> and then you'd you'd get a bag of something, and then go back to Bowser's castle having completed that city. Um, this is bizarre. It's really bizarre, and the, it, it it doesn't feel like an official Mario product because the the sprites are really bad. They're like they're like when someone does um, bad fan art of like Sonic the Hedgehog versions of like Mario and Luigi. Mm. And so this, but that, that's my primary reference point for Mario and Luigi. So when people talk about Mario Galaxy, I'm like, well, why <laughs> does he go to Marrakesh? <laughs> that's like that's my frame of reference for that character now. But um. Yeah, it was it was weird, like because like it's portrayal of different cities, even though they were just using one or two different bits of pixel background art, was weirdly vivid. Because I I I had no idea what Marrakesh was before I played that game, because I was like five or six, and mm-hmm. but I've got a very clear image of what that city looked like in that game that very roughly tallies to mm-hmm. you know what the the city's like in real life, and um, yeah, and you you go up. Uh, through these different floors and it would get progressively harder and you go to more and more cities and then once you get to the top you get to free Mario it's, it, I, I swear it's about a 60 hour game wow. doing that um, but you guys weren't even aware that was a thing that existed no, I, you definitely need to write about this yeah this that's, that's fascinating <laughs> that's <laughs> but this crazy. exists yeah it was, a, it was a floppy a game that you could get on it was a, a DOS game it was um, yeah. yeah it was the first game my PC, my dad owned on PC he had that and um, that really bad tennis one that came pre-installed on Windows 3.1, uh, which was like it was like 3D tennis but with 2D visuals, mm. and it made you sick to look at it <laughs> <laughs> in the way that a bad VR game might. Mm. Um, but yeah, Mario is missing. Like it was, uh, yeah, I don't know, it all started there. Wow. I can't believe that no one's ever heard of this. Like uh, no. It's if, the, unless you've fallen down some sort of dimensional hole into a, <laughs> a, a different When Nintendo place. were a PC-only publisher. <laughs> but I remember it so so vividly. And I look at images of the SNES one, and it looks nothing like it. It's, mm. uh, it's the same principle, but the um, it looked like a it was made by Nintendo, as opposed to just, you know, whoever made this. Just Out, like some guy. Outsourced to the people who made Encarta. Uh, maybe my dad made it. <laughs> maybe my dad was like, fine, I'll bring my own Mario to PC. Yeah. Did like modern version of where in the world is Carmen San Diego. <laughs> Mm, well, um, not exactly, but yeah, yeah. It's a. I think you can play it in browsers now illegally, but um, I bet Nintendo's even forgotten that they made it. Mm. But uh, if if they sold it on GOG for fifty p, I would definitely consider buying it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was that was that was my first game. But um, it's it's fascinating, and I might try and find it and link it to you guys because mm. you have yeah, to see it to believe it. It's like. Yeah, yeah. It's it's there. It's Mario and Luigi on PC. They don't look like Mario and Luigi that much. And then yeah, it's this weird. It's so weird. And you're playing as Luigi the whole time. Luigi going to Marrakesh. <laughs> they made that game. Amazing. Deeply strange. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So that uh, that was the first question I want to ask you guys. The next one is, what was the first PC game you became truly obsessed with? So I guess in your young life, what was the first game you really gravitated towards and just played endlessly? Um. Phil, do you want to go first? I can do, yeah. Um, so probably 
Commander Conquer Tiberian Sun. Um, it's the first thing I really remember spending. Like it, one of those games where just finishing the campaign wasn't the point where I put it down. Mm. Um, obviously, it had skirmish mode, but more than that, it had a huge mod scene as well. So, uh, I mean, it wasn't the first Commander Conquer I played, but I played Commander Conquer One and Red Alert One on the PlayStation One, and got to a point where. Um, I got a friend to come around so we could play at multiplayer, which involved him bringing another PlayStation and television so we could link them both <laughs> together and do a skirmish. And it was like, at this point, it was like, there's got to be a better way. And it turned out there was a better way, and it was called getting a PC. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> I, I, yeah I remember um, a, a mate of mine had Red Alert on PS1, and um, I was like, can you buy this game on PC? And he went, no. <laughs> I was like, classic, classic that- kids. <laughs> Because <laughs> that's all I had at the time, and then not only could you buy on PC, but it looked way better on <laughs> but PC. It was so much better, yeah. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> it was it was nearly impossible to play with a controller as well. Yeah, I think, completely. I think they even released a mouse on PlayStation just so you could play that game. But and that um, was yeah back before like they, they even had the dual sticks, or whatever. So you were just using a D pad, <laughs> and it was, it was a terrible experience. It was flawed. So yeah, getting getting hold of Tiberian Sun, which had better graphics and a mouse, was top stuff. And yeah, like that that was. That wasn't just the first game I played a lot of, but the first thing that really, I think, showed me what the PC could do as a platform. Because it wasn't just the mods you could buy and like the after-release support. Um, Westwood would release like map packs of uh, extra extra skirmish maps and stuff for free, which was like that's amazing. Hmm. But also seeing in modding it, learning how to make mods and how to edit the ini files to change troop behavior and make um, mammoth tanks absurdly powerful or it was like a gateway drug then to pretty to, much yeah yeah um so yeah i could do that and that was fun just messing about with values or whatever but you could also download this thing someone had made that completely changes the sprite layouts and adds new units and completely unbalanced weird things uh like these toxic troopers and they just have these this gas expanding out, killing things, that sort of stuff. It to, was pretty to, crazy. To be fair, adding high concept units that break the balance of the game is was Westwood's job anyway. Like, <laughs> they, yeah, they okay, definitely had. A, <laughs> um, but e- yeah, e- even the community could outmatch them at that. There was some really weird stuff. I remember Tiberian Sun just being massive at the time. Like mm. I remember buying the issue of PC Gamer that had the um, the big. Uh, brown soldier head on the front, and just thinking it was like it felt like it was the first Command and Conquer of the modern age. The leap between it and Red Alert was just seemed huge at the time. Mm. Yeah, wow. And you're playing it again now, aren't you? I, I am actually writing about it again, um, although not so much playing it as trying to find a way to play it. Uh, it's it's a difficult thing to get working on Windows 10. Yeah, but you you got the Origin version. I've got the Origin version. Uh, it turns out there was a fan patch that, in a very specific set of configurations, compatibility modes, and rendering options, will run almost well. <laughs> so <laughs> reassuring. That's uh, there's a box out there. In <laughs> how do you even play this now? Well, yeah. it turns out you you do some very specific things. Yeah, interesting. Mm. How about you, Tom? How about you? Hmm, it's hard to say. I I could think of like I got obsessed with Final Fantasy VII. Like I, it's one of the few games where I, I swept the world for every single last secret and then went online. Even Knights of the Round. Uh, pretty sure I got Knights of the Round. Yeah, gold Chocobo. Of course, you need a Gold Chocobo to get Knights of the Round. So. Which is the biggest nightmare <laughs> in the world, is it not? <laughs> yeah, it takes that Chocobo. Fucking ages. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I remember the, because it was like 
very early internet days when I borrowed it off a friend he also handed me a stack of pages that he'd printed from game FAQs <laughs> with just a chocobo breeding list he'd got a folder just full of <laughs> poured over that that's oddly familiar that's yeah, yeah. I, it was kind of, you yeah, had to erase them a lot I think um, for some reason I can't remember if it improved the baby that I don't know how it worked in hindsight. <laughs> no idea. I can't remember. But I, was, I remember racing a lot, and by the end, I was just quite jaded. So I was like one of those guys at the side of the racetrack, which is like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> seen it all. But it, it basically tacked like another thirty hours onto the game's yeah, length, yeah. and like I remember because I remember a, a mate of mine really overhyped that summon as well. He was like, "Wait till you see it. It's the entire knights of the round table, and they come out, and there's like twenty of them. They twat the guy." And, it's yeah. like, <laughs> and I was like, "Whoa!" I've just got like you know, uh, Fat Chikobo and like you know, mm. I thought Bahamut. Uh, Zero was like the coolest thing in that the game. Was, uh, that, that was pretty sweet. Yeah. That was awesome. That's um, one where that's the there are so many flavors of, of barmets. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, is this the one where he hovers over the earth and then shoots down? Into yeah, it? I think yeah, so. The, the laser that's, dragon, that's, space Bahamut. Yeah. Space Bahamut. Yeah. 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 Cool. I, used to, I used to call him Bahamu because this was the like that's in our friend group. That's what we called him. So <laughs> it wasn't until you know I don't I've never seen it really. No. Um, yeah, I think I called him Bayamut, so uh, <laughs> which is even more embarrassing. Who, who, so. who knows? Who knows? No, it's the round's rubbish. Like the best thing of the game is uh, you have uh, a material, a magic spell called Mime, hmm. where uh, a character will just copy what the last character did. So if you level up Mime and max it out, it kind of spawns another Mime because it's very pre uh, precious material. So you just have to breed it. Yeah, yeah. And then you just get everyone Mime, and then you get. Uh, cloud to quad slash which does 40,000 damage and then get everyone miming it so everyone just goes and punches them four times and it, that does more damage way more damage way faster than the Knights of the Round Table uh, so that's that's pro tips also for 1997 ten, yeah, yeah. tens and tens of hours to get uh, material fully leveled up it does um, it takes a long time law of grinding that was the first game where I learned about grinding and mm. that was before I, I hated it <laughs> it's, it's cool though I like the idea that that was a, a thing that the player had to unlock and like um, because if you if you really love that game the end goal was defeating the weapons in the yeah, game definitely. right yeah. which were the one of the coolest things about it like um, these super bosses who are just out there in the world out there to be found you know um, mm. one underwater and one just this little red thing that's in the sand and leaps out and it's uh, yeah it's like yeah I, like, I used to like driving over that and now mm. I can't yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, emerald uh, weapon is legitimately scary because you're you're down there in your little submarine and it's huge and there's like a really sh short draw distance and suddenly it comes looming out it's like ah yeah and you see bubbles before you see it as well mm. um, and like uh, that that's uh, they're remaking seven and that's the thing where I'm like when that appears from underwater it's got to be like you see a monster swimming past in like Godzilla or something mm. you know just something it's got to be really unsettling. Do you, do you think it's possible to get all of that into an actual new game no. that's been remade? No way. Like, no way. It's no way. Not. That alone is like a game in itself. Like yeah. just building an entire underwater environment with a submarine mechanic. <laughs> it's like yeah, there are more than I think there are like a dozen cities in Final Fantasy VII. Mm. They're yeah. not going to make a dozen cities <laughs> in a modern games game engine. There's no way. There's no way that uh, man. I've no idea how that thing is going to turn out. But uh, no, I don't think it's going to please anyone. <laughs> and will they include the the cross dressing uh, part, which is one of the you know I think one of the most interesting parts of that first chapter because it it totally changes the tone from you know from it being sort of like this gritty the world's about to die yeah. thing to <laughs> i'm doing squat for us to try and win a dress <laughs> it's like yeah um yeah i i i must admit i i got obsessed with seven too but um red alert another command and conquer was the first uh game i got truly obsessed mm. with like i remember uh i had it i think there was just a point where i think i was 10 and um, on my birthday, I just, I, my dad had just upgraded our PC 
is like 1998 or something and I, and I and I had something like 100 pounds and I went to electronic boutique and just um and bought something like five games and four of them were Star Wars games mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, the other one was the um the compilation pack of Red Alert which came in a three CD-ROM box size CD-ROM box yeah. even though it had just a tiny case sliding around in it um it was poorly conceived um, but yeah, like uh, I, I love Red Alert. I, I don't think it was necessarily a better designed game than any of the later ones. Um, mm. But the the flavor of it, like the weird ass tone of like alternate timeline Soviets with uh, you know Tesla coils and Tesla tanks and uh, you know a, a, the, the ludicrous things like the the Allied spy sounding like Sean Connery. Like you it's know, that sort of heightened. When a game opens with. Albert Einstein assassinating Hitler through a time handshake. <laughs> you know you're really time handshake. You're really sitting down for a video game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it was also that thing where I think when you're a kid, like that whole sort of micro machines, airfix, <coughs> controlling lots of tiny units thing, mm. RTS really does just appear uh, appeal. You know, like it was, mm. it, it totally tapped into that. And like I don't remember the first time like, just seeing a mammoth tank roll out and it's like sending it to battle. It was like that's. That's the best thing in the world. Annihilating a base in in that game with, you know, like um, twenty Tanyas piling out of Chinooks, and yeah, when your battalion of mammoth tanks and Tesla guys turn up, mm. it's like, you know, it's not really high level strategy. It's who's got the biggest oh, yeah. army, which everyone knows about Command and Conquer anyway. Mm. But um, just seeing that smackdown, just like that's, that's, that's just so cool. That's those, still so appealing. Those Tesla calls were like so imposing and scary when you were trying to. Yeah, trying to breach into that base or something. Yeah, the allied allies had it tough in that game. Yeah, yeah. unless you had like you were near water and you could send some cruisers in, you had no chance if you were allies in that game. Pretty mm-hmm. much, uh, they got a slightly better deal in Red Alert too when they had like time dolphins and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it totally got out of control. And, but I never, I never preferred Red Alert too because I, the skirmish mode just wasn't as. Uh, ridiculous! Like um, there was something wrong with the AI in the in in Red Alert Skirmish Road where it was too hard, and so you basically lost about nine games out of ten. Mm. But the one you won, mm. you really felt like you earned it. And like uh, Red Alert 2's AI is just so it's just not very good to be honest. And and it, it basically just lets you win. They don't build, they're not aggressive enough. They don't really build enough units. It's there's no challenge to it. And uh, mm. yeah, that's why the first game captured my imagination. Nice. Okay. What was the first online multiplayer game you played loads of? Phil? Yeah. That's a, I actually came to multiplayer, uh, online multiplayer really late, partially because of my, that, my, my aforementioned obsession with Tiberian Sun. Hmm. Um, we were talking about this recently for some reason. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I decided to dip a toe into that game's online mode. And as a child, I didn't realise quite what the separation between um, an RTS single-player skirmish and an RTS online metagame would be, and was destroyed so completely um, that it put me off multiplayer forever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or for a long time, certainly. Um, and and it, it was, I still remember the person who beat me was actually very gracious about it and clearly knew, realized I was new and offered to sort of show me the ropes and teach me how, how to do things. Mm. But I kind of just swore at him and quit out <laughs> in shame. Um, so, yeah, if you've, ever, if you've ever wondered about how people act in online multiplayer games, just remember they're children, usually. Yeah. Sometimes they're children and they're mm. they're bad at having social skills. Or sometimes they're you know in their twenties and they're, they're not and very they're, good they're, at Call well, of Duty. At that point, they're just <laughs> awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
How about you, Tom? I think uh, in co-op terms, Diablo 2 was the first time, and it was 56k modems, and whenever my mate Phil, whenever his druid cast a certain spell, it would hard lock my PC. <laughs> uh, and so it wasn't, a, it wasn't a smooth experience, but it was, uh, it was also... It was so easy to just break that game and copy weapons. Like you, ju- you could just do it in the file structure. You just copy it, this amazing sword. Suddenly you had two of the amazing sword <laughs> in your inventory. Um, but uh, as a kind of cooperative experience and as a kind of... We'd sit around tables and kind of theory craft around the characters. It became a real social experience. Uh, that was my first positive, awesome, in-depth experience online. Competitively, I was never really interested until Team Fortress 2. And yeah, that is mine. a game I've played a, a, an awful lot. And... Uh, is amazing. I've kind of just kind of played too much of it now. Uh, however, it's it, it was a, a fantastic, uh, competitive, friendly competitive experience. Mm. I remember Chris uh, said that he felt like when he checked into Team Fortress Two fairly recently, it, it felt like it had moved on without him. Is that how you guys feel about Team Fortress Two now? Or uh, I, I might still be starting to get there. Uh, I, I probably stuck with TF Two longer than a lot of people did, um, and. Part of that was realizing that for all of the new things they add and all the hats and new weapons and stuff, the, the <coughs> default loadout can still be extremely effective. Uh, I don't know if that's still the case because it, it's been another year or so since I was last in there. Hmm. But I went back when they launched their contracts thing, where you just get a you get like a couple of objectives uh, for a character um, and would earn rewards for completing them it, it sort of harked back to when they were adding achievements and doing those oh if you complete x number of achievements for this character right as part of this character update you'll earn the weapon so it was like a nice a nice over a sort of overarching system to get me back into it and for the most part yeah it seemed fine um there's so many maps now and modes and fun different things happening but the core system's they're not they're not all that exist anymore, but they are still in place, and it, it's still a good competitive shooter, I think. Yeah, uh, for me, it was uh, it was two games at once, uh, which was uh, Medal of Honor Allied Assault and Jedi Knight Two Jedi Outcast, oh, yeah. which both came out about the same time, but also dovetail with the the point at which my dad got broadband instead of fifty six k. Like that was about two thousand two, and it was a it was a huge moment of like wow. Mm. I remember first seeing Allied Assault multiplayer around a friend's house and being like, it can't be online multiplayer can't be this good. I remember reading about uh, online multiplayer games in PCG and just thinking, well, that's just that's just a dream that's never going to come true for me. Mm. <laughs> broadband, I assume, is like unattainably expensive, you know. And uh, yeah, just um, Jedi Knight had a really cool uh, sort of like dueling system mm. where you could challenge another player, and then whatever's going on around you, it would kind of be locked off, and you'd be in this arena having this, you know, this battle that very, uh, very convincingly mimicked um, the lightsaber sort of uh, mechanics that you you see in in the films, um, and you could change stances, and it was all about angles and precision, and it was uh, it it was you know like the most uh, authentic feeling Star Wars experience you could have at that time um, and then for Allied Assault it was the uh, it was a sort of the, the, the drama of it and the audio visual spectacle like it was the by far the best looking game I'd ever seen uh, at the time um, and uh, you know obviously those guys went off to create the Call of Duty series and, and now Titanfall um, mm. so you know a lot of the you know the sort of groundwork for what COD would become you know be- began yeah. there pretty much um, yeah okay uh, so what was the first big game you remember being disappointed by? So I think for me it's something quite late on in the um, because 
Oh, this is going to sound really self-aggrandizing for given my job now, but because I was reading games magazines and stuff, you'd get a decent heads up of whether something was good or not. Mm. So it probably would have been Tomb Raider, Angel of Darkness, except games magazines said no, it don't don't buy it, it's bad. Yeah. So I didn't, and I I was happier because of it. <laughs> um, so probably like thinking back, probably the thing, well, the biggest game that I was really disappointed by was. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Oh, yeah. Because um, I really enjoyed Modern Warfare. Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 1, yeah. was was an excellent game. Uh, and it mm. seemed like a really interesting direction to take FPSs after what at the time had been a long, long period of World War II shooters. Yeah. Um, but I hated it. I thought it was one of the stupidest, <laughs> most idiotic campaigns I'd played. Um <laughs> The multiplayer was still kind of fun, and it, actually, was it Modern Warfare Two that introduced those Spec co-op missions? Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, yeah, they they were actually brilliant, but the campaign was just brainless, and it really upset me. Like I just thought, I the like, airport sequence that was the, the airport sequence. Uh, the airport sequence was particularly bad, and I think you transitioned from that into a, a snow chase thing on jet skis, and I was. <laughs> Then you're battling in the White House, and a nuke goes off in space, and I mean, it was really idiotic. It was really daft. And then the the last chase up that river, where uh, or down that river rather, where you're going after uh, that army bloke, and then you throw that, you pull the knife out of yourself and throw it between his eyes. It was pretty daft. Um, the first the first game was a bit had a bit more of a sober tone, didn't it? It had a bit more sober tone. I, I it, it had better set pieces. I think better planned set pieces, and I think. Conceptually, it was more interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, after Modern Warfare 2, that, that was the last game in that series I played uh, to this day because it was like, uh, I'm out, clearly. I'm out. I don't yeah. I have, want anything to do with this. Wow. I um, think by the end of the, uh, the uh, Modern Warfare 1 campaign, they had created all of the templates that they would then just recycle in for sure. varying yeah. orders for the rest of the series. So all giddied up at the time as this really exciting, intense, but very kind of handholdy. Uh, mm. mission where you follow a guy and then he tells you what to do mm. and in the context and with that spectacle at the t- and in at, for the time it was released that was a really astonishing mission and that, that mission just got amazing flow anyway because the environment and uh, yeah. the, the, they've done a really good the job pacing is great yeah, yeah. Um, so, but th- they've just repeated that mission in various different guises it never, never has been as, as but yeah good. usually with more bombast and yes. so yeah the idea of okay the guy says stop and you stop and a tank sort of rolls past and mm. uh, these soldiers march past and you're like Oh, this is really, really atmospheric. Well, the more they and did it, Pripyat, and that is already a, just a strange place to explore. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, it's true. And like, um, it, it also allowed it to build, um, which uh, mm. yeah, after that, COD just started big, then went bigger. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it, it was also that thing where, like, the more they made those campaigns, the more you could just see the smoke and mirrors, and like, yeah. uh, to, to the point where two games in, it became so obvious what what the tricks were. And it you just it just stopped having an effect, and uh, hmm. and to me that genre almost died out immediately. That kind of scripted FPS, like it just just yeah. went, you know. Hmm. Hmm. How about you, Tom? I don't know. It's, I, was, like, I was I was disappointed by Battlefield Four, for example, because hmm. for me I, I really enjoyed Battlefield Three for for its flaws, especially hmm. its kind of technical server flaws and stuff in the beginning, and uh, it felt like it just. Uh, They'd made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, they'd uh, they'd broken something about the way squads worked in Battlefield Three, and it wasn't an interesting game anymore. And, then, and instead of kind of 
uh, making the game more interesting. They went after this very flashy and showy level kind of collapsing towers mechanic that got boring after about the third or fourth time you saw it, but went down very well in an E3 showing. Mm. Um, and it was it, that, it, that was a letdown. Um, I don't know where that series is going next. There are a lot of rumours about, you know, shift to a different time. Yeah, yeah there the are past. rumours of people saying World War One, which is mad. That, yeah, that I, I can't imagine that. that would work. It'd be interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, uh, I, yeah. When I was at when I was at Dice, there was just a, a, a room that had the battlefield stuff in it. And you just couldn't go in that room. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder what could have been around the corner. You know, it could have been dinosaurs. Could have been anything. You know. Yeah. Uh, mm, fair enough. Uh, I I I honestly uh, think it might be Assassin's Creed Three. Like, oh, um, yeah, like cool. I didn't. I, I didn't love Brotherhood, honestly. I thought that game really annoyed me. Like, it was all set in one place and had all of that uh, Farmville management stuff that I don't think was can count as game design because it was just some numbers, mm. um, even though it got you some cool abilities. And I know I'm alone in thinking that on team. I, th- I think I'm alone in thinking that. Um, and I think the Xero stuff stuck around for too long. But it was just like the all the empty hours you spend walking around like these snowy environments that you can't really interact with in, in the third game. Just just sucked and the cities in it were they looked okay but they were just there was nothing to do in them and it was uh, it was it was like it it tried to take the texture of red dead and it really did that's what they were going for for sure and then it but it had none of the interactivity none of the sandboxy systems like it was just a a very boring linear action game where everything was overly simplified hold down one button to kill every enemy you know definitely deep in the era of everything is just an icon on a map and we're going to make this experience as, as there's no discovery really there's just the icons and you do the icons and yeah it was also super buggy mm. i remember getting my horse stuck on every bit of level geography that it could like, yeah it was so bad there's a really uh, irritating quest design in it as well like there's there was a, an assassination where I think you're behind the massed forces of the British Army, they're just lines and lines of gunmen, and it, it looks fantastic. Uh, but your actual play area is a very narrow kind of circle, mm. and uh, you're supposed to get on a tree and assassinate the guy, but if you actually try and wander down into the battle, there's an invisible wall that says, you're desynchronizing! Yeah. And it's full of that stuff, and just endless follow missions, just following a man on a horse uh, everywhere for miles as he talks and talks and like, oh, oh. Yeah, it wasn't very good. No, it wasn't. I remember it just a moment. The moment it exemplified it for me is where I was in the snow and I saw just a bear there, and it was there was no music playing, and it was like, wow, this is a quite a tense moment. Runs towards me, QTE command comes up, press one button, bear dead. <laughs> I was like, okay, great. Um, and so, like, uh, Assassin's Creed's become a bit of an easy target, I guess, for mm. games that have become oversimplified and are bloated and uh, are made to appeal to a wide audience, but. To, I really did love Assassin's Creed 2 and in three years yeah. it went from that you know that that really kind of good advance from the first game where they added just enough abilities and just enough systems and things to do and these really rich environments like the, the cities in that game were amazing yeah. to this world I didn't care about this character who had no personality um, this combat system that now did it all for you mm. um, and the, these arbitrary house building stuff or house management stuff like it was it was just trash, I thought. Um, it bounced back with four for me. I really enjoyed Black Flag, um, but it was a very different fantasy to uh, the previous Assassin's Creed games. Mm. Yeah, I've actually been playing through that recently, and uh, I am I am enjoying it. Mm. It's uh, it feels like a big ass game to get through. It's but, a um, big ass game. I think, I think it does story. go on too long. But the um, the yeah. ship combat is is intricate and uh, tactical in a way that the normal combat isn't in, in uh, Assassin's <laughs> yeah. Creed. So uh, yeah, their combat system has never been 
that great, does it? No, but they um, they took that sort of framework and tried to put it into the most interesting context possible. Like, what if you jumped onto a pirate ship and killed all these guys? Yeah, like, yeah. And, you know, fair enough. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what is your favourite RPG? Hmm. Good question. You know, I think it might be Oblivion. Yeah. I think it might be Oblivion, which if like hardcore RPGs fans are listening if RPG Codex is listening they've probably just had they're bleeding out the ears now it's <laughs> it's going to be bad times for them but that Morrowind is the kind of like purest answer isn't it pretty it's much it's the purest answer but I kind of skipped Morrowind so I can never like experience I think I think with Bethesda's things you really do need to experience them the moment they come out to get the most out of their delicate balance between uh, being really technologically quite shonky at times, yeah, uh, they're very of their time. Uh, and after a few years past, you go back and you think, "Whoa, this is this is pretty." I like, I, I can't go back to Oblivion as much anymore because it's a very old and broken game with yeah. weird systems that don't make sense. Um, one of the things I remember doing a lot of in Oblivion was jumping off of a building so that I could level up my athletic skill which was a non-primary skill, so I needed to get the maximum amount of points into it before I leveled up a primary skill to properly level up to efficiently uh, assign my points. <laughs> it was a really dumb system. The leveling system in that makes no sense, but it was probably it was one of the first times I sort of stepped into that kind of first-person RPG thing, and, you know, coming f- back from... Games like Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale and the Affinity Engine, you know, through to that era and coming into something like Oblivion, mm. it's just like, holy shit! This is this feels like I'm just wandering through a world and can do what I want in this amazing sandbox. And oh yeah, you can criticize the role playing there, but in terms of in terms of a place that is yours to just enjoy, I think you know it's a very special game. Yeah, I, I, it's funny the point you make there about you have to experience Bethesda games at the moment. I completely get that, um, and I realised that I, I came to Oblivion too late to get right. that. Um, I came to it about six months before Fallout Three came out, and uh, by then it was it was already uh, just a, a slightly too late. It looked a bit too muddy. The characters looked a bit too much like potatoes, and mm. yeah, I kind of missed a bit on it. Sadly, I feel like no mod can save it as well because it's uh, so far in the past that that kind of awkward edge of 3D uh, technology that you know, short of just remodeling all of the models in the game, which some people are probably some attempting. People, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's difficult to bring it up to modern it, standards. It bridged the two ages of RPGs, right? Like um, mm. very much the uh, the sort of like um, I guess to, I guess as as they became more made for consoles as well as PC, and that was a there was definitely yeah. a transition there where you know the um, Infinity Engine games sort of went away, and then. You know, it became popular to make your uh, hmm. your RPG controller able to play with a controller. You know, and it was right there on the cusp of that, wasn't it? Definitely. Mm. Interesting, Tom. How about you? Mm, it's an interesting question because an RPG could be so many things. So yeah. it's a list that kind of encompasses Dark Souls and Final Fantasy VII and Oblivion and the Mass Effect series and Diablo. Um, and, yeah, yeah, and it's, uh, I think. Um, I feel like the question is intended to be like about like narrative RPGs, RPGs that tell stories in a way, or well, I, is it worlds? Or well, I guess like based on what your interpretation of, hmm. however broad that is, what what would you consider 
Because I did love Final, uh, Final Fantasy VII, but I think there's a lot of nostalgia kind of bound up in that. And if I was to go back and play it today, I'd uh, probably be quite frustrated by it. Do you know what? It's still, it's still good. I played it about three years ago. Oh, and really? it's, uh, and I, I did play it six years after it came out. And mm. um, admittedly, the combat system is quite antiquated, but mm. it's still a very, a very weird and interesting world that mm. that game lives in. It's got Costa del Sol <laughs> yeah. and the crater, the crater that's got uh, loads of monsters living in it. Oh, it's, yeah, yeah. The... Those two things coexist in that world. <laughs> yeah, but... and, that, and that skiing minigame. But in some ways, it's a bad role-playing game, isn't it? In terms of like how much influence you can exert of your characters, at least narratively, you know. Yeah, definitely. But you could do a lot with them, at, um, like build-wise, in terms of the material you equip them with and stuff. And I was, I was really disappointed in future Final Fantasies where they really restrict the way you can build your characters mechanically to fill different roles. Eight's quite good for that. Uh, eight's good for that. I enjoyed eight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally mad story, but uh, I enjoyed eight a lot. Got, yeah, it's got a real soft spot for it. I think, um, controversially, Mass Effect 3 is, is probably the one that has meant the most to me. Especially the ending. <laughs> just to make it super controversial. Yeah, let's just go for it. I mean, uh, I, th- I think if you're invested in the characters by the time you play 3, mm. it just gives it, I, it just rewarded me in so many different ways with the way those characters' stories ended gradually throughout the game. Like, the ending is, is the ending of Shepard's arc. Mm. Uh, but and I care more about the characters around me really in that game than I do about Shepard yeah. and uh, the way that kind of Morden's quest line goes yeah. and all uh, just each kind of crisis resolves itself for me was just I was absolutely absolutely wrapped throughout it and it's it's a rare example of uh, an RPG which is quite talky but also has decently half decent combat that I, I really enjoyed as a sniper I think it depended a little bit on what class you picked but uh, so many RPGs just kind of sink in the in the combat phase. But Mass Effect Three had uh, Mass Effect Three's combat was good enough to sustain a good horde mode multiplayer. Yeah. Out, even outside of the game, I think that's quite telling. Yeah. Well, there's all those additional um, uh, combat abilities you could you could uh, unlock, like the um, the different types of sort of like shots you could do, just mm. one-off shots that would recharge. Like, I thought that all that was really satisfying. Um, yeah, and I, I it's interesting. I I'd say it's probably Mass Effect Two for me, mm. um, and it's. I guess I, I would like to pick a, a more complex RPG in terms of like um, character building or customization. But uh, honestly, like it was, I thought it was really impressive how they fused so many of the things I liked about RPGs in terms of like uh, exerting control over the story with a pretty modern feeling action game. Like those two things combined, like mm. it, it felt like the soft spot for me in that genre in a way that I didn't ever think would be it was just seeing it feeling it right there and seeing it so refined like that that suddenly became oh maybe this is what the modern definition of an rpg is and not everyone will like that Hmm. or it's it's a definition of what the modern Hmm. rpg is and like um and yeah i I thought i thought i don't know unless you're really kind of like rigorously purist about it surely you you can accept this is an amazing piece of work you know of the world as well i mean how many sci-fi rpgs are there really um uh, a few good star wars ones I also made, uh, but this uh, the idea of being a you know space hero in this cool space universe and meeting aliens, mm. just really in the modern era with the, the graphical fidelity we have now, like hadn't really been done by anyone else. And that sense of discovery and of discovering other cultures and the Krogan and their very complicated relationship with you know the other races in the galaxy, I just found that so fascinating. That's what I want to do in RPGs. Yeah, kind of learn the world and become a part of it and role play. If we're if we're being controversial, maybe I should change my answer to Dragon Age Two. Yes, <laughs> do it. let's go all the way. Let's get all the commenters. It is, it is a superb game. Um, yeah, I like I like Dragon Age Two a lot. Yeah, me too. It's such a <laughs> such a really nice idea to give you one specific place, 
uh, one specific cave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one, one specific sort of doxy building where a pub, you know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, repeated assets aside, you know, the, 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 the idea of this the, a game that's not broad and a big area, but is long in terms of a time period. So mm. You've got a decade, and Bioware are always good at coming up with companions, and that companions tend to be the heart of their games. The, the most interesting. Uh, stories are always with the companions. I think that's true of the majority of their RPGs. So to focus so wholly on one person's life through with these people, yeah, one one person who isn't even particularly special in the context of that world mm. compared to who you play in Dragon Age Origins. You know? mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I do think Origins is a more satisfying RPG. Um, actually, talking about like the progression from the Infinity Engine, I do think that comes probably closest to realising that kind of spirit within within a new world and a new set of combat systems. Yeah. But yeah, that. Dragon Age 2 is something special. And I think you see that in Dragon Age Inquisition and the areas where there is crossover with Dragon Age 2. I think for some people it should bring into focus how much Dragon Age 2 might have actually meant to them is... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, I guess you're trying to avoid spoilers there. Aren't I'm you? trying to yeah, avoid yeah. spoilers just in case. Um, because... No, I, I do agree with that. I think I think that certainly the game sags a bit in the final third when it feels like you probably do need to see new stuff, and the game doesn't have that to show you. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is a limitation that does become quite apparent to the player. But um, yeah, I think when Chris wrote a piece about this, he talked about how it was all about the writing and the characters. And yeah, if you if you if you like Dragon Age two, the chances are you. You love it. It's it's one of you know it's it's something you really truly got into. I don't think I, I think it's a very polarizing game in that sense. Um, there's a, the ex, there's some, some ex, expectation around it before it was released after Dragon Age One, which is a very traditional and huge uh, kind of open world thing, and they obviously it seems like they just weren't given the budget to do that again or the or the resources to all do the that time, again yeah. all the time or and it felt like they just out of sheer necessity had to go down this route of one city and mm. just making a few things and having to just write the shit out of it to make it kind of sing. Mm. And uh, I know, I think sometimes amazing stuff is made under incredible constraint yeah. just through sheer, because it forces a, just a, a different uh, level of creativity and it forces people into different directions. And as a result, Dragon Age 2 is an RPG that um, is incredibly focused but has this really cool time aspect to it which lets a story sit there for a decade mm. and uh, only stuff like Fable uh, I think and, and a, couple, a couple of other games have really done that that sort of thing yeah. it's a really deeply satisfying thing to watch the, a familiar environment ar around you evolve mm. and for all its constraints um, asset wise and the way it looked um, I, I think it's, uh, it's going to be well remembered in the end yeah, I hope so. Um, yeah, like uh, it's it's. I'm sad to say that I think everyone on BCG likes Dragon Age. Two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some people will be furious. About yeah, that, I'm sure. yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're going to get some letters. They're probably going to think it's all like a front as well. But like, it's uh, no, I genuinely yeah. love that game and uh, genuine natural thing. I, th I think I think I like it more than Inquisition as well. Really? Yeah, yeah I, I, th think I think I do as well. I think Inquisition is a bit too bloated. Um, I, there are, there are there are moments within Inquisition that I am a huge fan of, mm. um, particularly. Uh, probably a third through when you are moving the, the, the whole sequence when you're moving towards is it Skyhold? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That is, that's just a beautiful sequence and you know the, the events just after that are very well done as well. Yeah, there's some there's some great they really kind of swung big with the story and um, all that all that stuff I really like about it. Also, it's, it's the Dragon Age with the best dragons in it. 
does have great dragons. The Dragon Age has actually got some dragons, and they're good dragons. I don't <coughs> think they really improved the combat, though. And, um, and I really dislike the combat. But the combat isn't great in and, that game. And no. there's a lot of unnecessary flab on it, as if that was a response to the lack of stuff to do in the in the late game of Dragon Age 2, where if you finish everything, yeah. you have to stay in your house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. But then... Good combat in RPGs is a difficult thing to find. That's Mass Effect is very <laughs> singular almost. In yeah, well, I was I was going to ask you guys what is your favourite world in a game, but I feel like we've covered that fairly extensively by talking about the world of Mass Effect and such. In this, possibly we have anything to add, unless there are any like sandbox worlds. I mean, you, with that, we're bringing in stuff like Rockstar, aren't we? Um, yeah, Liberty City, and how that. How that mimics New York in an interesting way, mm. it, mostly in a it, mostly by uh, having internet cafes called Twat or whatever it else. The way Rockstar enjoys as jokes. The um, way the, the way they approximate those locations though is, is yeah. amazing. Like uh, from a design perspective, it's yeah, it's like so nice. It's like the, the Liberty City is about I don't know like a, like a fifteenth the size of Manhattan. Yeah, it's got it's captured the essence of it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's the feel and keeping certain landmarks and still making areas feel like proper areas. Um, and I, I realized talking to a friend about Fallout Four, which he's playing at the moment for the first time. Uh, yesterday, that I I think the experience of going through an open world for the first time <coughs> and finding everything within it within mm. it I don't I don't think there's anything I enjoy more in games than that like mm. headshots and you know um, and progression systems and things like that I think I don't think anything like gets me in the way that going through a world like that for the first time does like that's a, that's a truly a privilege and you only get to do uh, play a game with a world that rich every like three or four years you know. Yeah, um, The Witcher Three is pretty amazing for this. Hmm. Uh, that's a great game to walk, just walk around and enjoy, and it's uh, it's kind of a, an interesting game because it front loads its most kind of miserable areas, like the bit artfully, beautifully miserable, but you know, t- tonally and thematically, it's, it feels like the end of the world. And I, I imagine it might be quite hard for some place to claw out of that area and into the joys of the Skelliger Isles later on, which are just these astonishing like Nordic uh, mountainous islands uh, that you could just freely sail between solving quests and uh, The Witch 3 is a great RPG as well um, yeah. got a lot of fondness for it uh, but as, as a piece of visual world building it's exceptional yeah yeah for sure um, I actually haven't got I've, I've still only played a few hours of Witch 3 so I've still got all that to come yeah but if that's, I'd recommend it yeah if that's part of the experience I really should get through it yeah. um, cool okay so the last question I'm going to ask you guys is what is your guilty pleasure game I kind of asked this Tom because I know you have like <laughs> loads of them yeah, I've got a kind of a. I like games where I could just sort of switch off and have a podcast on or something on the side. Yeah, and uh, I like a very specific type of six out of ten uh, action <laughs> game or seven out of ten if if I'm lucky. Actually, if, if they were published by THQ in like the last <laughs> ten years, then that's then that's... I, I've played seventy hours. <laughs> uh, well, Darksiders Two is one. That Darksiders I've, uh... Two is. Uh, I looked at the amount of time I put into that on, in my Steam library. No, I I was like, has some doppelganger me played <laughs> through this game five times? How can you even put that um, n- that number of hours into this game? Uh, I mean, Dark Siders Two is like I'd probably give it an eighty. It's a really competent. Uh, I, I, th- I think we did give it like mid eighties when it came out. Yeah, I think Marsh reviewed it and gave it mid eighties. It's, it's perfectly competent, really yeah, good, it's, it's, satisfying. It's no, it's no Viking Battle for Asgard. No, or... which is I, I tried to play that and I uh, as one of these games. <laughs> was that two six out of ten even for you? I think it was edging towards five, but uh, <laughs> might have because it's aged a bit. I think actually. Do you know, I, I remember. I remember thinking as soon as um, they announced Alien Isolation, my fear was 
the last time they made something that wasn't <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a Total War strategy game was this. Yeah, Is yeah. it going to be that bad? You know, the man with a tiny axe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who can't jump over fences correctly. Yeah, yeah, it was like uh, it was like Dynasty Warriors, but somehow not quite as good. No, it was, uh, it's a very strange game that one. Um, Space Marine is a uh, oh yeah yeah uh, relic. Space oh Marine. yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that fits into that category. That's got just really satisfying combat where orcs explode, uh, mm. and it's good to do over and over again. Uh, so I enjoyed that. It felt, it felt like they made sort of like quite a lot of a little in terms of like the budget and assets. You know, like uh, there's not there's not loads going on in that game, but there's... It's, it's difficult. I think like if you're going to do that sort of 40k game, there needs to be a bit where there's a big army fighting another big army and uh, some fucking amazing skybox action going on with like Imperial Dreadnoughts going overhead. And that's, that's the Warhammer fantasy. Yeah. And they know, and what actually happens is you're uh, in a giant factory with a Titan in it and you're moving <laughs> big brown cranes around <laughs> while orcs attack you. Um, there's a good bit on a train. That's quite fun. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, bit where you're on top of the Titans daft as well. Like, it's, <laughs> it's really just... funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I enjoy it actually. I, it's good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What about you, Phil? I always struggle with this because... Do you just play good games? No, well, if I like a game, I just assume it is a good game. And I, I don't get guilty about things. It's, oh. I, hmm. um, I, I, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Like, no, it's, it's not It's not. you're necessarily meant to feel guilt. Yeah, it's that, it's, I, I guess it's what someone might consider... Someone might laugh at if they... Or, or be like, oh, that's curious if you were to say, I play that. I did... Quite a lot, you know. Recently, write about a game called um, I've never had to say it out loud. I think it's called Alakine's Gun, something like that. It's named after a chess move, and uh, I went to a um, publicly funded school, so don't know how to pronounce those, <laughs> those terms. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> but it's uh, it's basically a Hitman game. It's uh, an it's a Hitman game from a decade ago. That was released this year on the same day that the new Hitman game was released. Yeah, which, as as release plans go, is one of the worst ideas I think I've seen anybody make for a long time. Right. Um, and it got slated by all everyone who's given it a proper review. Um, in the twos to fours out of ten category. Um. But I kind of I find it kind of charming, mm. while recognizing that there are problems with it because it's a thirty pound game that was released in twenty sixteen that looks like it's ten years old. It ha- has AI from about a decade ago. Mm. Uh, it's very simple within its systems. Very forgiving. It's very it, it's it's very old fashioned. Should we put it put it like that? Um, it's it's more. Hitman 2 Silent Assassin than even Hitman Blood Money or the new game. Like if you Quite find... clunky yeah. interface, yeah. And like when you think you've hit someone you haven't and then the game's over. So that <laughs> happens. Um, but I don't know, there's something... I just... It's Dark Souls, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I do like that style of game, uh, those, those systems, AI sandbox type games, and this is another one of them, and it's kind of enjoyable hmm. uh, but I got it free because uh, somebody sent me a press copy I did not pay £30 for it hmm. I'd probably be a bit angrier about <laughs> the whole thing had that been the case that's a very unique perspective so yeah. if, if you can obtain this game for free as a member of the press <laughs> well, you yeah. may enjoy it or if you're prepared to wait X number of years until it's a few pounds in a sale probably less than a year mm. Yeah. Uh, then X number of days I, I would I'd consider it if you see it if you see it there in the Steam sale grid. Just think, hmm, yeah, all right. Yeah. If you if you want some if you want a nice follow up 
to Hitman to Silent Assassin. Uh, that that exists. <laughs> I've uh, I, I've thought about this and like um, I think that my most regular guilty pleasure game is Resident Evil Six, which I've talked of about course. on the site before. Because oh, yeah. uh, there's a mercenaries mode in that, and, and and I think quite an intricate combat system that once you get deep into it um, has a lot to offer in terms of player expression and cool moves you can do. Um, but uh, it, it's sort of buried under the fact there's a lot of bloated bad campaign stuff in that game. Like yeah. there's about 30 hours of story, and it only needed about 10. <laughs> and I, so I don't uh, think a Resident Evil even needs 10 hours of story. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I guess like Resident Four was about 12 hours long. Like that's a, it's a fair length, but it had things going on, and this is long patches where nothing happens. Mm. And it's just wave a wave after enemy, uh, and then yeah, um, I. But then I thought about it, and like I, I used to play the Saboteur quite a lot. Um, oh, yeah. Remember Pandemic's last game, yes. The Saboteur. It was like the um, it was the game set in Paris in World War Two, yeah. and if you cleared out the Nazis from an environment, it would go from black yeah, and white yeah, to yeah. color, which was it, it did look amazing for sure, and was slightly more interactive than an Assassin's Creed in terms of like you could steal cars and um, you know trigger chases and things like that, and uh, had like airships in it. It was like really over stylized. Um, and had like anachronistic touches, like the soundtrack was on the on the radio in the car was from the, like the seventies or whatever. Had like Nina Simone on it and stuff. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, you can get usually get on Origin for quite cheap. I don't know how it runs on Windows Ten actually. I've not tried that out yet. Um, it's a bit of a crapshoot with Origin sometimes, but yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as you're finding yeah, at the moment, but yeah. they're also selling Bulletstorm, which I think is a very difficult thing to get running. On yeah, Windows which I think, 10 and yeah, and they're just not really doing anything about making yeah. those compatible, which isn't great. No. Um, Seemingly, anyway. I remember really liking the first Mercenaries from Pandemic. Was that did that ever come to PC? I think Mercenaries Two did, and that wasn't as good. You could drop a nuke in Mercenaries Two, though. You could call in a nuke, and they would actually nuke the environment in front of you, which was cool and unnecessary. I found the tone of it really off-putting because it was very jokey, but it wasn't funny enough to be that jokey. Yeah, so it just kind of became grating after a while. Because it's like Whereas, it's like got Peter Stormare as the main character, and he gets shot in the ass in the first five minutes, yeah. and that's the, that's the the entire plot of the game hinges Whereas on that. The first one was a bit more serious, so it just sort of let you get on with blowing stuff up. Mm. But yeah, I don't remember if that ever came to PC. Pandemic did make not. some. They they sort of went a bit downhill and just started making. Uh, well, they made that terrible Lord of the Rings Battle for Middle Earth game, where it was called. Um, no, they didn't. It wasn't that one. It was uh, Battlegrounds or Battlefront or something. There it was so basically, many mediocre. What, I should get on these the Lord of the Rings games because <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, there's some gems for me hiding away. In those oh. third-person combat <laughs> Lord of the Rings games. I don't think you can even get this one anymore on digital platforms. Like it's just vanished. Um, but it was truly dreadful. It was it was like a, the worst possible version of Star Wars Battlefront, but for Lord of the Rings. Okay. But I wouldn't consider that a guilty pleasure, um, but yeah, but the, the saboteur I think is uh, is is worth playing on some level. Kingdoms of Amalur is another one. Oh I throw yeah, in. that's oh, a good of one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave that like quite a high school when I reviewed it way back in the day. Mm. It's actually it's a really nice, uh, friendly. I called it like a Sunday afternoon RPG where you yeah. just kind of sit there and have a cup of tea, and it's really slick and it's got a really fun combat system hmm. and uh, some quite nice lore stuff going on. Yeah, because it was, it was like they got like they they paid out to get. I think Todd McFarlane did the character designs. Yeah, they got yeah. uh, Ken Ralston, who worked on Oblivion, to design it. Like, it had a proper good action combat system. Um, yeah, yeah. My, my my friend said it got him through uh, university after he finished his dissertation. He sat in his flat for three days and just played it. Don't worry, he's not going to write an op-ed about it or anything. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, There's yeah. something very frictionless about Amalur, is that it's, it's so non-threatening that it's actually a very calming, relaxing place to play through. So yeah. it's quite therapeutic in a way. Hmm. I like it. Ah, cool. 
All right, well, that was uh, that was all the questions I was going to ask these guys. But I think we got uh, some good conversations going there. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And we'll be back in a second with some reader questions. Okay, so we've got another question from Gareth Academy here, who uh, writes in every week, which I do appreciate because he he always asks, um, you know, the better questions. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, this week he's asking with Battlezone '98 re- released as a Redux and not the full remake it deserves. Grumbles, what old games do you want a full remake of? I think we answered this a bit a few weeks ago. Um, Possibly, were we asked, were we answering about full remakes or HD like re-releases? Uh, I I seem to uh, I guess I don't going think we to... knew I think we just made it up as we went along <laughs> we just said some words yeah um, that sounds about right yeah I uh, I'm not entirely sure actually um, what about you guys I Final uh, Fantasy 7 oh no wait <laughs> be careful what you ask for with yeah, this stuff basically. really uh, I mean a lot of those games were of a scope that was they that was you know viable at the time mm. given the assets the quality of the assets you had to create and now you know, have to create the same size world with the level of detail that is expected by the current gaming audience is just impossible yeah yeah that's true actually yeah uh, do, you know, do you know what actually I've just thought of something because we've got in, in our next issue out in uh, on the 5th of May yeah. we've got a, uh, a feature on uh, Morrowind uh, Skywind which yes. is a remake of Morrowind mm. um, in the Skyrim as a Skyrim mod and like uh, just seeing that and seeing some familiar parts I remember from Morrowind which I only played for about 10 to 15 hours like I, I, I would totally want to experience that world and that story through you know through the prism of Skyrim like that's mm. that's exciting to me you know I'd like to see a Dungeon Keeper uh, updated yeah. and re-released feels like that would be a doable thing like th- th- I think someone made a, a Dungeon Keeper remake essentially uh, or in all but I name I has been a couple of stabs at it yeah yeah and it's never quite worked um, but maybe it wouldn't work without Bullfrog and that kind of sense of humour behind it um, maybe even like I'd, I'd like to see more games going back to Populous and mm, this black really, and white Oh, black and white—that's a good one. Mm. Yeah, man, I've, I've forgotten about black and white. That's a good one. Yeah, like um, Lionhead or Bullfrog made some uh, yeah. absolutely incredible games um, Could you imagine for years a, and years. A modern gritty remake of Theme Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> well, just—it's absurdly realistic. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, with the same diseases. <laughs> Well, it's funny because seeing like Planet Coaster arrive made me think uh, it's actually quite nice to see a game like that in the modern age. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, unexpectedly pleasing, you know. Yeah, popular so Tom. You, you... Yeah, populous is. Um, it was just such a a strange and very very slimmed down kind of odd role playing slash strategy thing where you could mm. um, mold the terrain, and it felt like that idea died out ages ago until Ubisoft randomly resurrected it with uh, I can't even remember what it was called but it, you, you, it was almost like a tech demo where you could raise and lower terrain oh uh, Project Dust yeah Project is that what it's called Project Dust and you had Something. this tribe that was kind of moving from point to point through the environment I think it had dust in the I, yeah oh, hang I know on. what you mean I think I know what you mean it's a, this is a Ubisoft game from a few years ago yeah yeah, yeah um, oh, oh is it oh no I've forgotten now it is dust something isn't it's, it there's, there's dust in it yeah, yeah. dust it might, have been, it might have been Project Dust, actually. Project Dust, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I always thought that, that was such a cool idea, and it gives, it gives you such a sense of power, especially with uh, modern computing's ability to do like liquid physics, and actually you get to watch a you know 
<laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> watch, uh, you know, uh, a dam burst and for liquid to flow out through the environment, which uh, you should definitely admire in a, a very special video in which <laughs> in, in the game City Skylines, uh, a player created a vast reservoir of sewage uh, and uh, one weak point. And then he uh, then built a city next to it and then removed the weak point <laughs> and uh, put it up on YouTube. And it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it's, it's actually like, it's actually chaos. Like, it's horrible. Because it, it's horrible. <laughs> you see skyscrapers <laughs> drenched in poo. And yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, but just it's, like it's... a giant wall of poo just kind of consuming <laughs> them as it comes towards the camera. <laughs> What's funny about it is it's clearly like the liquid physics, it, it wasn't, the engine wasn't meant to like, to <laughs> be doing what it was doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it didn't quite look right as it was coming down the street. It's like, yeah, man was never meant to meddle in such a way. But it's t- truly a, a wonderful video. That's that a good video. Yeah. Um, no, that's it. no, yeah, that's that's interesting though. Has, like, uh, yeah. has the idea of a populist remake not been full, fully killed by Goddess? Has, you don't uh, have to just not. do it badly, you know. Like uh, I don't know, because it's been done so badly. As well, I don't know. I sh- I've not actually, I've still not actually played Goddess, and I do own it for reasons I can't remember why. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, didn't kickstart it, did you? Because I've, I've, I've no, seen no. your Kickstarter. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, some terrible games. <laughs> No, I didn't back that. Um, I uh, no, I've made some poor decisions, but that wasn't one of them. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's a good shout though. Uh, I, I think. What, what, what are you? Uh, actually, Knights of the Old Republic is another one as well, where oh, yeah. I think that um, mm. that style of RPG, no one's probably going to make again. Um, so, uh, but I, w- I would like to see what that that world looks like in uh, you know with HD visuals. I know there's a fan remake project going on, there but is, yeah. I would like to see Bioware or a similar developer take a stab at it. I, it would be nice to see uh, like. Certain Star Wars games, especially, there seems to be some ideas there that just aren't seen much. Like the Jedi Knight series, I think it'd be great to get a new, yeah, new fully. I, I, I guess there's uh, another game I can't remember. That one Chris really likes about stabbing people. Blade Symphony. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a bit. That that's probably the closest we've got at the moment. But, but it's a competitive game, and I I, I really want to just play a single yeah. player story driven. Uh, you know, mm. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, everyone who plays Blade Symphony is amazing, as Chris uh, discovered in his diary feature of trying to climb the ladder, which oh, is yeah. uh, on the site somewhere, well, well worth tracking down. No, that's good. But um, yeah, no, there's there's some good shouts there. Uh, without wanting to repeat myself on Deus Ex, that the original one of that would be uh, <laughs> that would, would be cool. interesting. I, I think that's one of the ones that exists in the Final Fantasy VII era of I I just can't see them doing a remake properly. No, not because pre- a lot of Deus Ex is predicated on the fact that the AI is completely broken. Yeah. Uh, and not good and can't see more than a foot in front of them. Also things like how the uh, the shooting is just not refined by today's <laughs> standards at all. That's a uh, massive shooter understatement. In which, <laughs> in which the developers thought it would be a good idea if aiming involved standing still and waiting for the cursor to <laughs> just <laughs> Get it to just um, retract into place. That definitely seemed fine, like 16 years ago, though. Um, not fine. No, it's not fine. <laughs> okay, cool. So the next question is from In Truth, who asks, "Could VR splinter PC gaming coverage?" I already feel a bit like a C64 owner reading Amiga reviews with some VR coverage. Um, that's quite a British reference, isn't it? <laughs> yes. I don't know. Well, SNES the UK podcast is Mega fine. Drive. I mean, SNES versus Genesis. Yeah, I see. We've got some American listeners there, of course. Um, but uh, I don't think it will. No. Nah. Um, we, I was t- talking to Phil about this before the podcast, and it, mm. it's kind of like MMO reviews. I'm I'm not going to get into a, a, an MMO again, you know, most likely. But 
uh, reading about it is still interesting to me. You know, it doesn't automatically become, uh, you know, content of no value because I don't have a VR mm. headset. Like, uh, you know, reading about it may eventually change my mind on whether I want it or not. You know, mm. yeah, and you know, there are plenty of news posts about games I'm not interested, and I just ignore them yes. and wait for, wait for the interesting stuff. <laughs> uh, and but Phil's it, talking it, about every other website, not our website. It's all interesting on PC interesting Games. <laughs> on our website, obviously. Even if it's a game series I despise, even if it's Call of Duty based, I'm going to read it on PCGamer.com. <laughs> Absolutely. For, for the unique takes. Um, yeah. Um, so, yes, an answer to your question in truth, uh, no. Um, what's the best cop shooter ever, and why is it Rainbow Six Vegas 2 terrorist hunt mode? That's seems to be a Gallagher. very leading question. It does. Um, I mm. haven't played Rainbow Six Vegas 2, um, so I'm going to just not talk I've about that. I've heard it's a very good cop shooter. Yeah, it's, okay. Uh, it is a very good cop shooter. Uh, it's the sequel to Vegas, uh, so they set it in the warehouses behind the casinos on Vegas because they've already done the casinos <laughs> in, in Vegas <laughs> in the first game. But the, yeah, they didn't course. even do that many casinos in the first That's game. That's true, actually, yeah. I, yeah. I think they were very expensive play- uh, uh, you know, lo- locations to create assets for yeah. <laughs> lots and lots of like different cash machine models and different lighting. Uh, so it's much easier to do a warehouse, isn't it? <laughs> it <laughs> is, put yeah. Some boxes in and it. then just the occasional <laughs> arcade machine in there. Yeah, um, it, it is brilliant though because it uh, it encourages you to talk to each other uh, quite a lot because you you're constantly looking under uh, door cracks of doors with uh, like fiber optic cameras to spot targets and you make a plan of attack to each room and you have to hit the hit the bad guys in the head before the hostage gets shot and it feels heroic when it goes right and it feels kind of calamitous and funny when it goes wrong and uh, Siege which I haven't really got into but I've played a bit of like more or less captures some of that same feeling in terms of like recon uh, teamwork and the mm. satisfaction from you know everyone living and everyone on their side dying like and, mm. and those sorts of variables like that mm. they've successfully uh, managed to maintain that uh, that interest from that series um, but for me I I I haven't really played many co-op shooters of late, but um, Vermintide, when we played a little bit of that, and I've played a, a bit more of it uh, outside of that too. That's uh, oh, you've been playing without us, Sam. Just a little bit, yeah. But there's, uh, there's, there's, good, isn't it? It is good, yeah. yeah we, should, good. we should definitely play more of that. But um, there's, um, yeah, it's just the, the kind of the way that the classes uh, interlock is is very very well judged, I mm. think, and it's actually just a satisfying. Uh, it's I guess it's not quite a shooter, it sort of is, depending on what character you're playing. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the best co-op game I've played of late. Don't know about you guys. Oh no, the best co-op shooter. It might be Modern Warfare Two, and it's Spec Ops <laughs> mode. Despite what all the bad things I said about its campaign, that, that was a really good co-op mode mm. for a shooter. Um, I think what works about it is that. It's the scenarios that you get in in Call of Duty games, but instead of the AI person who runs you through the entire level and tells you what to do at every moment, it's a friend, and you're just sort of left to get on with it. And that actually shows how how good um, how good of a shooting system, like how how good it feels to actually shoot things within that, and even how well laid out some of those levels are uh, if you're just given. The opportunity to solve them yourselves. Mm. Interesting. Left Dead Two is still amazing, and includes all the levels from Left Dead One, all the characters from Left oh, Dead yeah, One. Oh completely. So it's, it's all merged into the one mm. one game now. So that that is just fantastic. Wish so. every sequel did that. Yeah. That'd be awesome, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, I've not played that in years, like mm. years and years. Um, okay, cool. Hopefully that answers your question, Fred. Uh, Germany has classic point-and-click adventure games. Japan has classic shoot-em-up games. What's the next classic genre that's been kept alive by a community and in which geographical region? If you can't think of one, pick the classic genre and maybe region that you want to see more from. Uh, that's from Johnson uh, in Hong Kong, I believe. <coughs> um, yes. Uh, I don't 
we can't really equate genres to nations in that way. Like I, I get how uh, I, I get, get the shoot 'em up example, and I, get the I definitely get the point and click one. And, <laughs> I've uh, had enough dense, press releases about those dense simulations, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess Eastern Europe has depressing games. I don't know if that's a genre, but it's the area that games like Stalker and thing and Metro and. Um, what are they Ice Pick Lodges games like Pathologic and the weird one with the colours where everything's dead or something. Mm. Oh, the void. Void, yeah. A mm. uh, lot of the very specific tone at times comes out of former Soviet nations. Yeah, that's actually that's probably a, a good shout. Like, you know, I'd love to see a new Metro game for sure to see what the, what they would do next. Mm. Um, I think they're based in Malta these days. Uh, I might, might have imagined that. No, I'm pretty sure they are. Mm. Um, yeah, and uh, uh, it would have been nice if like the Stalker team stayed together as well because it seemed with eight with each with each successive release they were getting slightly better at making Stalker games. Yeah, uh, it feels like they were they just stopped short of their blood money. They're the one where that that development path kind of culminated in something really solid. Mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I can't really think of any any in relation to. Um, to, to, to countries like that, it's a hard thing to get to get my head around. Really, there's only a few examples where I really would pick that out. Hmm. Um, I suppose like Japanese RPGs, but there's loads of them on PC now. Um, hmm. That's becoming uh, better and better. That's that's just a good thing. I w- got, yeah, I'm, I would have said beat 'em ups on PC, but there's loads of beat 'em ups on PC yeah. now. So this, that's good. It's truly an age where there's no short unless you really like flight sims. That's a good example actually, but I don't want to play one. Um, <laughs> there's not you're not really short of any genre on PC now. Um, which is one of the good things about it. Yeah, tycoons are coming back. Like mm. I always like tycoon games. Like, mm. Glad to see them making a resurgence. Yeah, for sure. No, it's just a good time for PC gaming. I'm afraid. Um, for, oh, sorry, we haven't got a better answer, Johnson. Um, but you mentioned flight sims. Which geographical region would you like to see flight sims <laughs> being made in, Sam? Uh, Sicily. You know, okay. uh, <laughs> Sicilian flight yeah. sims. Good. Or, Solid. Yeah, or you know, like Amish country in uh, <laughs> in America. You know, like I if they see some problems with that, but <laughs> yeah, sure, let's give it a go. We could we could base a reality TV show around it. <laughs> I don't really uh, I don't really know where that's going to be honest. Um, Okay, cool. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with a, a more traditional format of uh, games because we'll actually play some in, mm. the, in the intervening week uh, as releases pick up. I'm going to try and get into Final Fantasy IX now that's out on PC. Um, I just finished Dark Souls 3. Nice. That's my mission for cool. the weekend. Good work. Yeah, yeah, cool. We can maybe talk a bit more about some of the bosses you've encountered since uh, yeah. the next time, which would be cool. And you can talk about some of the weird VR shit he's seen at FanFest mm. this year. Mm. And uh, Phil, I don't know what you'll do. Talk about Tiberian Sun symbol, probably. Maybe. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Thank you very much for listening. And if you have uh, any questions for us, um, I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Phil, you're... Uh, at Octada, which is O-C-T-A-E-D-E-R. And Tom? I'm at PCU Ludo, which is L-E-G-O. Cool. And uh, if you want to email us, it's uh, pcgamer at futurenet.com. We'll pick up your emails and we will read them out. That's what we will do. And if you want to leave us a review on iTunes, uh, please do. But you don't have to. And uh, thank you very much for listening. You don't have to. But so far we've only got eight. (laughs) We've nearly got as many iTunes reviews as we've got episodes. So it's definitely we've got less than like 0.5% of our listenership at least. You know, has uh, has left a review. But um, again, you don't have to. You don't have to. But. (laughs) Do think long and hard about whether you should. Yeah, okay, interesting. Or well, Phil Savage will call you out on yeah. the next podcast. Me, uh, me and Phil have accumulated a good cop, bad cop, <laughs> apparently. But, um... Yeah, I feel threatened. <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs>